Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. I just had a very good friend of mine lose a stepdaughter in a tragic car accident, and it's events like this, I think, that really make you take a step back and think about the big questions Uh, It tests uh, your faith in God. It tests the concepts of determinism. Is there a purpose? To what extent does randomness rule the universe, if at all? And it also brings up questions of the afterlife, this topic that has fascinated the human mind since the beginning. On that note, I I quote uh, the French philosopher Voltaire, who said, If God didn't exist it'd be necessary to invent him. (laughs) And perhaps that's because we have a need for something more, something beyond this world. Something similar perhaps could be said about the afterlife, and that is faith in the afterlife. It gives us hope. It helps remove the fear of death, though it cannot remove the pain of death when that death occurs to somebody we love. But one thing this topic shows, I think, is that the world we live in is much deeper and richer than science tells us it is. That the world has a depth that we are only just now appreciating. This topic of the, of the afterlife, as we know, has, has been studied, uh, as I said, throughout the ages, but it's becoming more and more valid as more credible authors write about it. My guest today is such a person. Her name is Roberta Grimes. She's studied the afterlife and all its permeations over the past 40 years after having her own encounters with the light when she was younger, which we'll talk about a little bit here. She's a graduate of Smith College and Boston University School of Law, and yes, she is a practicing lawyer. She's also the author of two books on the afterlife. One's called The Fun of Dying, Find out what really happens next, and the fun of staying in touch, how our loved ones contact us and how we can contact them. So hold on to your seats. We're going <laughs> to go to places uncharted. Welcome to the show, Roberta. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me to join you. Okay, well, well it's great. And as, I, as we, as we uh, chatted in the beginning, we, we both somehow found ourselves talking about this topic uh, after, uh, while we are, while we also are practicing lawyers, so it just goes to show you that the field of law is not as restricted as some people may think it is. So, True. first of all, it's always good setting the table here, and I know you talk about these your own encounters with the afterlife in your in your book a little bit, but just to tell the listeners here a little bit about what got you into this field, why don't you why don't you take on that question and talk about what what was your epiphany uh, to to this topic of life after death. Well, it happened when I was eight years old, 
in April of 1955, someone asked me what day, and it, I, it came to my mind it was the 9th of April. I have no idea. I woke up in the middle of the night and realized there was no God, and I was terrified. Good little Christian child, suddenly there's no God. And into that void, suddenly there was this brilliant flash of light, white light like burning magnesium. Brilliant. It filled my room. In fact, I remember 60 years later what my room that then looked like just because I, I could still see it as if it just this just had happened. And a young male voice said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Now, when you're eight, everything surprises you, so nothing surprises you. I figured that's handy. If you forget there's a God, they remind you. And I went on with my life, but I never told anyone what had happened. I figured it was had to be normal. It happened to me. It had to happen to others. And I would learn it. The way you learn to ride, to drive a car or you learn the facts of life, eventually I would learn what that was. But if you never ask the question, you never get an answer. I even majored. When I went to Smith, which is a fairly prestigious school, I majored in religion. I figured if you're in college and you major in religion, they'll tell you what that was. But again, you don't ask a question, you don't get an answer. So when I was 20, again it happened, and this time it was at 5 o'clock in an afternoon, full daylight, brilliant flash of light, same voice said, I will never leave you. So that was when I, A, knew what had happened when I was eight was real, but B, I had to know where that came from. There was something going on beyond what anyone was telling me. And that's, I, I thought it must be coming from where the dead are. That's all I could think. Mm -hmm. So I started to obsessively, as, a, as really an all-encompassing hobby, research the afterlife and the science behind it. And I've been doing that ever since. It's, it's great that uh, to have that personal experience because nothing beats that in order to, I think, reveal the truth of something. And, and yes. when, we, when we hear from our scientific friends, uh, you know, they talk about experimentation and, and repeatability, which of, course is, which of course is very important. And one of the, one of the features here is that your own experience uh, is also an experiment, and but it's a personal thing. And one of the things that I, I've talked to other um, researchers on this topic is that there seems to be a common experience that many people have when they encounter the afterlife. It, ha have you seen this to be a feature of your research, a common experience? Well, the, I, I'm not sure what you mean by a common experience, but my research has shown me, and most of the best communications came at the very end of the 19th and the first half of the 20th century. I've read hundreds and hundreds of these communications. And what's extraordinary to me is they are all talking about exactly the same reality in terms of its physics, in terms of what the process is, what they do there, how they dress, how they communicate, the, the pastimes, everything is the same. Yeah. It's a big, big reality, so therefore they've all had somewhat different experiences, but it's in the same place. And that's, to me, one of the biggest pieces of evidence that this is real. I mean, scientists love to talk about experimentation, but a lot of what scientists do is study reality as it is. You can't experiment with a black hole, for example. You have to better understand it by studying it. And that's what we can do with the afterlife. There is enough evidence that we can be certain now about what it is, how it works, how it fits with this reality, 
and there and what it tells us about what we are all of those are very important questions that we now can answer yeah i mean i i don't want to let uh science off the hook here because i gave i gave them uh the benefit of the doubt and, the, and i think the ideal form of science would be something that a theory that can be tested but as we know from such things as the multiverse and string theory even right though, even though those two topics are taking up a lot of time in research institutes. Uh, everything I've read says that those two theories cannot be tested by definition. Right. And, and so, and so this is something that I think is is uh, creating some of the inertia against the scientific paradigm right now, and is and is increasing the credibility of these of these afterlife stories. Now, there's one thing about about this seeing the light or the the blinding light how did you know that it was god or or another world or what 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 was that message you got that that told you that this is real well the only a it was real because i experienced it i mean how do you know the room around you was real it's something as real as, and it was in the room, it, it was not in my head, clearly. I think the voice is in your mind when this happens, but I, it, it, what happens is out in the room. Um, it, ha it, it was otherworldly in that it was unlike anything the advanced stage of eight, nor that I had ever heard of. So I knew immediately it was sort of something extraordinary, and it, had, it came when I was feeling desperate about God, and it was an immediate answer. So I knew it was a God-ish sort of thing, but I didn't think the voice was God's. It didn't sound like God. It was young, it was male, it was friendly, it sounded human. Yeah. Um, and I've come to believe it was my spirit guide, but it took me a long time to figure that out. Yeah. Um, so, it's, go, go you know, when, when you have these extraordinary experiences, you know that they're beyond. Our minds are so much more powerful than we understand. And when we have these experiences where our powerful eternal mind touches beyond itself, we, we immediately know that, even if we're small children. Yeah, I mean, I, babies I, have near-death experiences even. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is, that is one of my fundamental principles, is that we, our minds are much more powerful than we imagine them to be. And maybe yeah. it's sort of like... Uh, knowing how fast your car can really go or how bright <laughs> the light really I mean until you actually experience it wow I didn't realize it was it was that powerful but what I but what I want to move to here is is the lines of evidence that you think are pointing towards the truth of the afterlife because something is happening I think Roberta in our modern culture where where the credibility of these reports is increasing. Yes, And, and I'd yes, like you to true. talk a little bit about what you think the strongest evidence is. I mean, leaving, I mean, we have the personal, obviously the personal experience is important, but, but why don't you talk a little bit about, from your research, what is the strongest evidence? Well, as I say, I, I, when I discovered we there, there was an effort made in the early part of the 20th century by the dead to, to make us know that they were there. And they did some extraordinary things through deep trans mediums especially, which if anyone had paid attention, everyone who's listening would have known all their lives that our lives are eternal. There's no such thing as, as death beyond the death of the body. And, I, but it was ignored. But I, I read all this stuff. I mean, I was, 
I had was raising children. I, it was just an engrossing hobby. So as I began to do it, I was looking for similarities among these stories. And what I discovered was they're all similar. I found no outliers in hundreds and hundreds of these in dusty old books mostly or reprints. Yeah. They're all telling the same story. Now, the odds against chance, as scientists would say, that you would read a body of different communications received over 50 years from a whole bunch of hundreds of different dead people, and they would all tell the same complex story. The odds against chance for that are, are, are phenomenal. Yeah. So that's our first bit of evidence. Our second bit of evidence uh, comes from the fact that what they tell us about their reality is, is very strange and different from what we have here. For one thing, um, it's, it's ruled by consciousness. Uh, people travel by mind. You could go across the universe in, in an eye blink by mind. People communicate by mind. All creation is by mind. More advanced beings can, with their minds, make plants that are permanent, but just like plants, um, can think into being a house that will stand there as long as anyone wants it to be there and be just as solid as the house you're living in. This was very strange to yeah. somebody who never even took physics in high school. Um, what the heck did that mean? Well, come the first part of this century, we began to get some good quantum physics for dummies books. And anyone who, who has read the afterlife evidence and digested it and then read quantum physics completely understands how it all fits together right away. It's everybody I've ever met, and now I'm meeting a lot of people, frankly, who've been on the same journey I have, and they've all had the same same epiphanies when they read these books with quantum physics subjects because, in fact, quantum physics is a plug between this level of reality, which is the only one where Newtonian physics applies at all, the only one where our minds are not powerful, and there's a reason for that I think we can talk about, and all of rest of reality, which is most of reality. The rest of reality is exactly in the same place we are, and it is composed of at least six primary levels separated from one another only by their rate of energy vibration. Well, all of that made sense when you, when you read um, quantum physics. In fact, the father of quantum physics, uh, who, Max Planck in 1918, he got the Nobel Prize for uh, having been the, the dad of quantum physics. He was very much into the fact that human consciousness is primary and pre-existing. What's the connection, though, between quantum physics and the afterlife? Quantum physics is consciousness-based. Okay. It's, um, this was the thing uh, that really confounded the earliest quantum physicists and the physicists who tried to make the turn a century ago. People like Einstein were, were trying, who were, you know, were obviously brilliant physicists, but this was a new idea. Wow, quantum where, where does consciousness come in? Max Planck said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything we talk about, everything we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. Now, he said that in 1931, which was years later. He spent the rest of his life trying to help people understand that human consciousness is primary and pre-existing. Now, to me, this is the greatest insight in all of human history. What it tells us, though, those of us interested in the afterlife, is it's easy for us to imagine, in fact, to assume, to know that our minds are eternal. They, they pre-exist 
the universe. The universe came after human consciousness. And there is, at like all other laws of physics, the, the fundamental law of conservation indicates there's no logical reason they should end. And in fact, they don't end. I mean, we have a lot of evidence that all the dead are alive, happy, and healthy, and right in the same place we are. We just can't communicate with them except uh, with difficulty. Yeah. But it all came together. Do you see, Phil, it all came together when we began to understand that there is scientific confirmation if we look at quantum physics from the opposite side, from the side where the dead are. We see how it does give us a bridge back to this very limited reality. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, I want to get a little deeper into this for a second. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I was speaking with Roberta Grimes the author of many books, but one of them that is that we're focusing on right now is called The Fun of Dying, and we're talking about the scientific support for the afterlife. Uh, and by the way, this topic, scientific support for the afterlife, sounds sort of like an oxymoron when you think about it. But, but the, here, here's, here's, the here's what's interesting, I think, Roberta, is that uh, you know this is a topic that I, I also research and read about, and in, in a recent issue of Scientific American, I read something that was really pretty amazing to me because what they said in there uh, was that despite all this stuff about uh, quantum physics, and for those who don't know about quantum physics, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. One of them is to simply um, reach a conclusion that the world is not made of self-determined independent particles, but it's really made of wave particle or, or, or wave particle things, energy packets, probability waves, bits of nothing, fields, something that you can't put your finger on. In any event, what the Scientific American article said was that despite all this talk about quantum physics and the uncertainty principle of Heisenberg and anything Max Planck said, that the consensus of science is that particles really do exist. <laughs> now, now I was amazed by this quote because I'm, this 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 is what is this is what the now I'm getting a little off topic here although I will bring it no, back. No, you're this, not. You're this, right on topic. This, and this, isn't that this, funny? This is this is what's amazing about our current culture, <laughs> is that despite what all these great quantum physicists said, and you're exactly right, Max Planck uh, did did discover the quote unquote quantum of action, and he was the founder of quantum physics. <laughs> and he did give that wonderful quote about mind being the matrix of all reality, which I love that quote. Yep. Uh, but despite all that, despite Schrodinger and despite right. Einstein, <laughs> despite all these guys, uh, Sir James Jeans, the, the scientists have, have just basically ignored the whole thing and said, <laughs> well, forget it. They really do exist. And so let's put our faith in the particles. But right. I, I, I just I just say I just I just I thought that was I mean, I'm going to I'm going to do a blog on that, I think, uh, in, a, in the next couple of days, because it's just I could not believe I was reading it. Um, it's my but, favorite magazine. I right. love it because yeah. every single issue I can read it and I keep answering the questions that they are stumbling over yeah. you, because the, uh, this, the science that comes out of studying the afterlife is a genuine third wave of physics. Yeah. We had Newtonian physics. We've got quantum physics. Consciousness-based physics is the theory of everything that will yeah. finally unite it all. Yeah, well, and those of us who've done this research already know that. And these fools, as you say, they cling to a belief system. They've turned it into a religion. Isn't right. that stupid? Right. It really, it really is amazing. I, and I, 
and I have one word for it. It's called unscientific, and that's that's right. A, and that's a nice way to put it. I could I could use other words, but here's, you know, I I've been uh, researching quantum physics for too long myself, and I won't get into the, the to um, to how long it's been, but the bottom line is that it's a fascinating topic. Yes. But one of the, one of the things about it though is that I think that quantum physics is a facet of reality. I think it is a it is a element of what is real. I I would not I th- I think it's just showing us that we live in a spiritual world. Yes. And and the one thing the one point I want to make here that shows the internal contradiction about our current scientific worldview is that even if you take the consciousness first approach to quantum physics and you yourself uh, cite to the book uh, The Quantum Enigma by Bruce yes. Rosenblum and uh, Fred Kuntner, um, who I had on my show many, a couple years ago. But in any event, if it's true that consciousness is necessary to bring about the experience of a world, and I said that in a general way, then that means it's necessary to bring about the experience of being human, of being a mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. But what we do a lot, because science can't get out of this observer, uh, of, uh, ob- this objective uh, ob- observation approach, is that we pretend as if we're just studying a specimen out in the world when we forget that we're part of the field. And, and, and so this is, you know, this is where I'm going with this, is that, is that if quantum theory is correct and the consciousness first approach is correct, that that means we are all part of the field. And as soon as you move to that picture, now, now you start having, I think, one line of evidence for this, for this consciousness-inspired world. So, so I, I just want to put that, I just want to add add that onto what you were saying um and i think a lot of what our problem is right now in in science is just becoming consistent they're they're just inconsistent they're they're latching on to newtonian physics while they're while they're pontificating about quantum physics but they sort of go back and forth depending on on what on what they want to talk about on, on what their theory is the, the problem is that it's a belief system. It is a, re- a religion. Right. Um, and, and we know that because um, in the, they codified in the early part of the 20th century what they called a fundamental dogma. And in older books, you see it called a fundamental dogma, and that's atheism. Right. Anything with a dogma is a religion. So atheism is a religion, too. Yes. And therefore, then they stopped being a science. And that's exactly when they went off the rails. And they've been off the rails for 100 years. What's interesting, though, is that without, you know, sort of uh, in spite of themselves, they keep learning and finding, just making more discoveries that relate to this greater reality in which we we actually live. And they won't even acknowledge that's what they're doing. They have not the dimmest notion of what they're finding. The fact that most of of the universe uh, is beyond their ability to study it, um, so they diligently study less than 5% of it, doesn't strike them as strange at all, but it certainly should strike us as strange. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. They, I, I think I want you know, I want to add something here because um, I can tell this is going to be fun, <laughs> and which which is which is I guess the right word to use in one of the titles yes. of the books. But the um, the problem here is that 
and I and I and I think you put I think you put your I think you put your finger on it, is that science itself is based upon of so much speculation about things that cannot be known, and but be, and and by that you know example I've already mentioned it what would be the multiverse, in string theory and in the multiverse, but in string theory, the reason why the mathematics is so profoundly difficult is because they need 11 dimensions in order to in order for the math to work and so and there's best-selling books by Lisa Randall for example called warp passages about about all the different dimensions out there what you're talking about I think is dimensions of consciousness yes so you have internal dimensions Science wants to put the dimensions out in the multiverse somewhere or packed away in space where we can't see it. And so that, that is, I think, sort of the very simple division we have uh, right now between this inner and outer. Okay, so I, I sort of interrupted you, but I, I, wanted, I want to continue this line of of thinking, but I also want to, be, uh, or or this line of conversation, but you were raised, and and you probably still are, uh, religious in in some senses. But but how did your own experience change your perception of religion? Okay, well, I and I, I want to hold on some things that you said and go back to them, but let's sure. talk about that for a second because you were you asked me how I know all this is real, and I said the evidence is so consistent plus quantum physics comes in and, and shows us how it all fits together. The third thing that made me know it was real, and the reason I ended up writing the book, was that I had been a very religious person all my life, first Protestant, then Catholic. I've read the Bible at least a dozen times and the, the New Testament twice as much. And as I got into my 50s, I came to see that Christianity isn't right. It's not right. There's no evidence God has ever judged anyone. No one has ever found any such evidence. And there's been no evidence that the death of Jesus made any difference to anybody or that only Christians get into the afterlife. So I was so troubled I stopped reading the Gospels and didn't read them for close to 10 years. But I kept thinking, you know, when I'm learning, I think the big guy said a lot about this. I'm going to be, I don't want to test him. I won't, I don't want to test you, Jesus, but I just want to read the Gospels and see if I'm right that you actually said some of these things. And that was the greatest moment of my life because I discovered when I freshly read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just those four books, just the Gospels, which are the only place in the Bible that contain the words of Jesus, that Jesus told us 2,000 years ago things about God, reality, death, and the afterlife that we could not have known by any means until at least the 20th century, including some little things some quirky things he knew this stuff that was my third confirmation philip it, there's no way this is not right or else he could not have known these things yeah well first of all i think that what you did is very healthy and this is one of my big complaints about religion generally speaking is that we let other people interpret the words for us yes and we follow their interpretations when the words are sitting right there I mean, yep. we could just read them yourself, and and going to the source, I think, is a lot more healthy and a lot more uplifting than sort of um, trying to memorize what somebody else and how somebody else interpreted it. 
uh, leaving aside all the political power reasons they might have done it that way. I'm not a conspiracist like that. But, <laughs> but, but the other thing, but the other point here that is sort of my own thing is that I think that um, the, the authors of the Bible, including the authors of, of the Gospels, they're, they're giving, and, they're, and also Jesus himself, they're giving their best impression of the world and reality and of God at that time. And all we've done over the past 2,000 years is reformulate the same things in different words. That's, that's sort of my shtick. I think that we are evolving. I mean, you can't say that you're a spiritual creature without also understanding that you have to grow. You have to understand. Um, and I think it's a mistake some people make when they say, well, uh, like the Koran is a good example. The Koran being written in stone, uh, the words never changed, uh, th- that uh, you know God never came to a better understanding of himself or herself or whatever. But, but I guess, so, so bottom line is, read the word yourself, I'm big on that, and also try to understand it in the course of spiritual history. The thing about the Gospels is, well, there are a number of things, one of which is it's been translated twice, but still the words exactly, 95% of what Jesus says in the Gospels exactly correspond with what the modern evidence, the cutting-edge evidence tells us is true, which to me is a miracle right, right there. But the people hearing him, and you're right, the people writing down the Gospels, they had no clue what they were hearing. They, they were hearing an eternal, very advanced being coming to them and trying to speak in very, very simple terms to them. Wouldn't speak to us today the way the way he spoke then. But what he said then is perfectly adequate to us even now. I think that the Gospels are the best exposition of how we are meant to live our lives uh, that, that I have ever read. And um, yeah. spot on. I mean, exactly what the dead also tell us is the meaning and purpose of our lives you find in the Gospels. So I came to a point where I had to choose between Jesus and Christianity, and I chose Jesus. Hmm. So I'm not a, I'm no, I no longer think of myself as a Christian. I think of myself as an originalist Christian, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I just, Jesus never said he came to die for our sins. That all, that's all yeah. It's polyanity people worship now. Polyanity. It's all know. Paul stuff. I don't know where. Right, exactly, exactly. I don't know where this whole <laughs> sin thing came from. I mean, I I was raised Catholic myself, and, and um, I, living with guilt for something yes. you didn't do, I, I, don't, I never understood that, and, and it's going to take a long time to break that down. But fortunately... I think that over time we 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 grow out of it. We grow out of it. But it it has had an unbelievable negative effect upon the consciousness of 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 America and other countries. Oh yes. This, this oh yes, guilt, that's totally right. Exactly right. Yeah. It's really, and people it's, people can't get away from it. My husband's a Catholic to this day. It makes yeah. for an interesting marriage. <laughs> but yeah. but um, it you you what, once you're taught these things, they they have a hold on your mind, which it's very hard to get rid of. The fact is, all the evidence tells us that not only does God not judge us, nobody else judges us either, except ourselves. So if you go to your reward feeling that you're guilty you're going to have a lot harder time with your life review and with coming to terms with forgiving yourself for what you've done because you think you're guilty but you're not people are stainless as the snow people nobody is guilty 
Yeah. Not before God. We're not guilty. You're not guilty before God. Then certainly you're not. You shouldn't be guilty before yourself. Yeah. Well, we could we could have a whole show on the on uh, the Garden of Eden, eating the apples, and and how, <laughs> yes. and, and how that was interpreted to to lead to uh, guilt for sinning and original sin and all that. And it's it's a it's a very it's a very interesting topic in and of itself. But to what we're doing right now. What you're saying is that in the Gospels, Jesus, Jesus Christ is giving is giving account of the same type of afterlife or the same life after death experiences that you yourself have experienced and that your research has shown. Is that is that what you're saying? Totally right. Okay. And his teachings, um, I think, were meant to bring these truths to us 2,000 years ago. Um, if you read the Gospels in light of what we now know to be true and, and listen to actually what he actually said as opposed to what religion says he said, you say, okay, this is what he meant. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah. Well, when you see how he talked about clergymen in the Gospels, you understand what he was trying to set you free from. Yeah. It was religion. Yeah. But, uh, you know, then the irony of ironies, they turned his, his teachings into something else altogether. Yeah. I don't blame Paul. If Paul hadn't done what he did, which was package the teachings of this precious eternal being in, in ancient Hebrew prophecy and current Hebrew practice, if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have the words. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> now now yeah. it's time to open your gift. Yeah, yeah. That, that's... Now let's see what Jesus really said. Yeah. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Roberta Grimes, the author of the book The Fun of Dying and also The Fun of Staying in Touch. And these are these are very readable, uh, but but believable and credible uh, accounts of the afterlife. Now, I want to turn back to our discussion of science here because I wanted to have uh, I wanted to touch upon this religion facet as well, because if we're going to get anywhere with uh, a consciousness-based reality, we're going to have to do something with the dichotomy between science and religion. And I happen to think that this consciousness-based approach is the way to go. But, but I said a bunch of things about, about quantum physics and, 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 and levels of consciousness. And I'd like, to, I'd like you to talk about that. But I, and, and I'm going to give you um, a quote from your from your book it says here that uh, matter and energy and, and and time and space are not objectively real and you talk about the fact that we are living in an a collective illusion which I thought was really fascinating can you can you talk about that and how that sort of uh, interweaves with the afterlife well, the, what the dead tell us is that there is no objective time where they are. Um, more advanced beings who have been channeled have told us that there is just no time period. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an artifact of, of the matter and energy and space-based illusion that we think we live in. But matter and energy are not, I mean, matter is not solid. If, as I say in the book, if you um, had the White House as a, an atomic nucleus, the closest electron might be in Denver, yeah. and there would be nothing in between. Yeah. There's nothing there. And then when you look more closely at these, part, what they still fondly like to call particles, and you see how fondly they want to call them particles, if Scientific American is insisting we have to call them that, 
they're vortices of energy they're not solid so that was what the Great Hadron Collider was looking for. It was looking for um, the Higgs boson, which was part of a field, which when these little vortices of energy went through the field, they would acquire mass, because otherwise how can gravity work? I mean, they have their whole scheme made up, unrelated to anything really at this point that's real. They were looking for at least 30 other particles, which, were, which have been used for the, for the past... 30, 40 years in their calculations of the multiverse, in their calculations um, of string theory, they didn't find a one of these particles, which they were sure had to exist. And they're so confident about them that they put them in their calculations. Yeah. Well, here's the fact. The dead seem to be telling us that math doesn't even need, it's not even any kind of basis of anything outside this level of reality. I remember decades ago, I was watching, some, back when I watched TV, I was watching some scientific show, and some earnest young physicist said, for some reason, math can be used to study the universe. And those three words, for some reason, stuck in my mind. Why? Why is it that math fits with this universe if it is not artificially constructed? Yes. Yeah, well, yes, I think that that is one of my favorite quotes from a, an article, uh, I think it was by Eugene Wigner. It's the, I think the title of the article is The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. Yes. Uh, which, 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 I, which I think is really another sign of an of a incredible contradiction in the scientific worldview, which is how you can have math rule the cosmos when it's supposed to be a randomly created world. It, it right. Does, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Um, the, the the this concept, though, that the world is is an illusion, sounds like uh, Hinduism. It also, by the way, sounds like my own philosophy. But we'll put that to the side for a second. <laughs> but but the you know Hinduism, you know the world is Maya, uh, illusion, and and when we die. Um, according to the Hindu, you shed your physical body and you enter the realm of of uh, spirit and you become reincarnated. Is are you saying it? Do you think that's right, or do you just or just do you think there is no religion that I have ever studied? And I studied a lot of religions in college. Yeah. There's no religion I've ever studied that was right. Yeah. But they're all based in some things that are true. For example, reincarnation certainly happens. It's one of the things I don't like, but they're, you know, they didn't set this up to make me happy. It's, 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 it's real. Yeah. However, here, here's the problem. Time is an illusion. Out beyond this level of reality, time doesn't exist. You can, people who's, who lower their barbitrary rate to the, low, the level of, uh, that we're at will experience time. And so it's, it's, it's sort of experienced in the lowest afterlife levels, but it isn't real. So therefore, they tell us, all our lives are happening at the same time. To the extent time exists at all, it's instantaneous. Yeah, it happens see. all at once. Yeah, you, you so, see. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, well I, I just want to say, so that's, we, we can't think in terms of linear time and linear lives. All your lives are happening at the same time, and they're influencing one another. Brian Weiss, who pioneered uh, pre post uh, 
uh, uh, afterlife regression therapy, pre-life regression therapy, so that if there's something bothering you in this lifetime, whether it's an illness or a phobia, they'll look in the past for your uh, for the trauma that caused it. When he couldn't find it in the past, he started looking in the future lives of his patients, and he found sometimes that it was something in a future life that caused a present problem. Yeah. It's very strange, Philip, but that's how it is. Well, no, I, I have a simpler approach. I have a simpler approach to time. And there's certain things I think that we'll never figure out. For example, I don't think we'll ever figure out the origin of consciousness. But no. But the but time he, here's my here's my simplistic approach to time. I think we could fuse a clock, the movement of a clock, which is a mechanical instrument. To, to shows that shows change movement and and deterioration with 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 evolution or forward or forward change there's no doubt that things change the question we we are so wrapped up into this mindset that things eventually wither and die and no offense to to some people who think that's inevitable but but that we think that when we say time is inevitable in many ways what we're saying is that deterioration is inevitable see because but only I, on this I, level I, phil I, it yeah. doesn't happen well, the other see, see, other levels see, i'm a, i'm 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 more radical than you are see i'm i uh, i think that there is an afterlife i'm basically convinced because it this happened on this show the more people i've talked to on this topic I do think that there are dimensions of consciousness or levels of consciousness where there is there there can be parallel lives and there can be a parallel a parallel universe or a parallel existence okay but every time every time I go here and I'll, I'll ask you the question here this is this is what happens to me I said okay Roberta in this other realm are the beings differentiated are there separate spiritual beings in the afterlife? Oh yes. Okay. So oh so, totally. Okay, and so they so I take it these beings, they they then have to like get along with each other, or they have to experience a world. Is that also true? Or yeah, or, but or, the difference is life there is really happy and joyous and full of growth and learning and okay. fun. I okay. mean, we don't. Uh, it's just very different. Yeah. Um, I, I could I could spend a whole hour just talking about the differences, but um, we 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 talk. I, I, the multiverse is an interesting concept. We can compare it with two things. One is the fact that the dead talk about at least seven levels of afterlife reality. Well, this one's an eighth. That we we get pretty close to 11, especially if we assume that this one has three dimensions. What? Well, we're 11. We just we just discovered how there could be 11 dimensions all in the same place. They're all energy-based. And that makes it simple. You know, our friend um, Occam, uh, Occam's razor is sort of more, more beloved in the breach than he is in, in, the, in the honoring. Right. But Occam said the simplest explanation is probably the best one. We don't right. have to get complicated. Right. And in fact, there's a simple explanation for you. It may be that the multiverse is, in fact, the afterlife added to this present, uh, what we think of as a level of reality. There's another thing which I touched upon earlier, and I'd just like to finish for, for your listeners. The, the scientific community has come to understand, based upon the way gravity acts on, on reality and other things, that most of reality is not discoverable by them. 
reality, the universe is 27% dark matter and 68% dark energy. Now, if you take the, the less than 5% that is the universe that they can perceive, the matter and energy on this level of reality, and you compare that with the 27% that is dark matter, and you realize that that's pretty much the same ratio you would expect if that dark matter were in fact the other levels of material uh, of non-material reality where the dead reside, uh, our friend Occam rears his head and said, why don't we look at that possibility? I mean, we see in your favorite magazine and mine, Scientific American, that they're starting to say, hmm, there's an awful lot of that dark matter. Maybe there's people in there. Well, indeed there are. I have a feeling that's the afterlife levels right there right in front of their noses all the time mm -hmm. and what's that 68 percent that's dark energy well why do they call it dark they call the matter and energy dark simply because they do not interact with photons of light therefore they're not material they don't give off light they don't reflect light well we would expect a, a, a spiritually based non-material reality that is the afterlife to exactly behave that way you wouldn't be able to detect it as in ways you detect physical matter. And the same is true of dark energy. Now we know that the only thing that objectively eternally exists is what we think of as source. Your mind and mind and all human minds are part of source. And that could very well be the 68% that is dark energy. And I now take my bow. Yeah. Why don't they look at that? Well, I don't follow. See, I, I think that that is a inconsistency. I think there's an inconsistency there, Roberta, because first of all, the difference between I said is uh, between the multiverse and what I would call levels of consciousness. The multiverse is out in outer space. It's beyond the reason why the multiverse cannot be tested, and th there uh, is because by definition, it's outside of our universe. But and, suppose and it doesn't so, exist, Philip. Pardon? What if it? What if there? It's it's just one of the constructs, like string theory and like others, that they've come up with to try to unify um, quantum physics and Newtonian physics. And if they can't objectively prove that that theory is right, um, if they can't find the particles, if if they if it just doesn't pan out, and it doesn't seem to be panning out as as I read it, then maybe that's maybe that's another blind alley. No, I mean, I no, my point was going to be the difference between the outer and the inner. The difference between b b having ultimate reality being outside consciousness and ultimate rea reality being a product of consciousness. I, I thought you were saying that reality is a product of consciousness. No, it's inside consciousness. Okay. Well, nothing, it, exists, uh, nothing exists beyond the source. Okay. And it's essentially everything is what you might think of as a thought inside source. Okay, that's exactly that's, uh, that's exactly what I meant. I mean, the, the the fact of the matter is is that we are, in my mind, we are projecting reality. That's right. And therefore, therefore, uh, this multiverse is to be a figment of the scientific imagination. You, you and right, I agree right, right. completely. Okay, okay. Now, Bless I, you. I don't know if we have enough time to talk about dark matter, but but dark matter to me, if you if if you read if you read up on dark, the problem with dark matter is that is that science has inserted. This is another figment of the scientific imagination yeah, because right. they have inserted mass where they need it in order to 
comply with the laws of gravity. In right. other words, the spiral galaxies, for example, would not hold together if 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 gravity was only being contributed by visible matter. Right. So therefore, scientists say, well, these galaxies hold together. There's got to be more matter somewhere. It's invisible. We just it's can't more see fudge. it. <laughs> right. right, right, right. We just can't see it. It's a, it's a gigantic fudge. The same thing for dark energy <laughs> in a different way. It's a, it's a gigantic fudge, and you know, someday. Um, somebody will add up all the fudges, uh, but we'll, <laughs> right. we'll need an insider, by the way, in order to <laughs> understand all of them because so many of them are so well disguised. But my point being that, that to me, if you take away dark matter, just say, okay, dark matter does not exist. That to me shows consciousness is at the center because consciousness doesn't care about whether the spiral galaxies is following are following the laws of gravity, which they've made up anyway. They don't right? care. They don't. It, it doesn't right. doesn't care. And so so all. But here's here's the big here's the big point here to me. The big takeaway for me is that it is so important to question these theories. And this is something, Roberta, I think you do very well. Uh, very clearly in your book and for those people who are looking for sort of a very very down-to-earth exposition of science and these spiritual concepts Roberta's books are, are very good at it because you you put it in terms that a lot of people can understand and you know again and again we hear the importance of open-mindedness of questioning of thinking for yourself and and that that to me is really um, critical for for coming to terms with the concept of the afterlife in our in our current day and age. Now uh, I'd like you to talk about you know a little bit more. You've meant you've mentioned uh, communications from the dead. You you've said the dead have said this or. The people have died said this. What what forms of communication are you referring to? Most of the best that are that survive came through deep trans mediums in the early part of the 20th century. We have virtually none of those now. Um, there are reasons why they developed then, and they they people just don't devote the energy that would be necessary to becoming mediums to get to the point where they can withdraw and allow their controls to speak directly, but. Those who had that skill um, developed it phenomenally, and the, their dead relatives very chattily were able to tell us all kinds of things, and, and highly evidential things, where the will was, and they came up with tests for themselves so that, that scientists would be convinced that they were alive, all kinds of things which scientists, of course, ignored. Um, but those, to me, they, they're, those communications which were received through deep trans mediums and a few that were received through automatic writing represent the core of our direct communications from dead people about where it is they are now. These, most of them were not scientists. They were not researchers. They were talking. They were people who had recently died who were trying to reassure their loved ones. And uh, so it's, it's all sort of naive information. No one has doctored it. And it's all perfectly consistent across, across all these communications. They can be found in, um, actually, I, I cite some, some sources uh, in the, um, they're annotated bibliographies 
bibliographies at the back of each of my books. And I talk about what each book can do, and they're all things I've read and, and relied on. But there are some there which contain these communications, pr uh, primarily received through Gladys Osborne Leonard, who was an extraordinary medium. Yeah. So that's the core. And there are some also that were channeled by very uh, advanced um, mediums who, who basically were channeling not just someone's relatives, but very advanced communicators. Um, I find them less interesting in part because most of the, those very advanced communicators have been so far from the earth for so long that they, it's hard for them to relate to us in our language. Well, what, what, um, about the, what about the popular mediums out there now? Do you have any opinion upon them? For example, the Long Island Medium, and there's, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's this, another show on TV, something about talking with angels, and there's, there's a lot of folks out there, some of whom have been on this show. What, what's, what's your take on that? I have trouble believing psychic mediums even are doing what they say they're going to do, yeah. um, and I have not had good experiences myself with them. However... The glorious Dr. Gary Schwartz of the University of Arizona in Tucson, who is one of the very few real scientists doing this kind of work in a, in a scientific setting inside a, a, a university, um, he studied uh, some of the most prominent mediums of about 10 years ago, John Edward being uh, my favorite of them, and he found that they double and tri triple blind studies of them that they what they're doing is uh, um, impossible. It would be impossible. For or chances are multiple millions to one that that they're not in contact with the dead. So mm -hmm. he convinced me. His book is the Afterlife Experiments. I think it's 2002 or 2003. He convinced me that there are good ones. And there now is the Windbridge Institute in Tucson, which tests using his methods and others tests psychic mediums. So if someone is looking for a psychic medium to go to the Windbridge, just Google the Windbridge Institute in Tucson. And see and look at their list. Um, they tend to be inexpensive, and uh, they they've all been tested. They're yeah. they're able to do it now. Whether they could communicate with your particular relatives is another matter. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's a real phenomenon. There's no doubt about it. It's just that some people. I'm a skeptic by nature. Most of the people who do this work are skeptical, actually. Well, and uh, yeah. so I have trouble with well, it. Well, it's 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 healthy. <laughs> it's healthy. I mean, people ask me, you know, what does and I I'll ask you. I mean. You're, you're a practicing lawyer. What what has that contributed to the approach you take to this phenomena? I mean, I, I think it makes you more skeptical. It makes you more evidence based. Yeah. Um, I I'm not. I I refuse to be psychic myself. Although there have been attempts made by spirits to make me that, but I refuse to be. I'm oh. very difficult for them to work with. There are other lawyers too. This is something lawyers do. Uh, Victor Zamet uh, in Australia has for 25 years been in the face of of what he calls closed-minded skeptics. Um, he does a, a weekly newsletter. If anyone goes to Victor Zamet, Z-A-M-M-I-T dot com, you can sign up for his free newsletter and it's the best news you'll get all week because it's full of this stuff they he and his wife wendy really comb and get in cutting edge information and also wonderful old um films of people talking about this they had a last weekend the there there was a film of pmh atwater 40 years ago do talking about this she's the expert on uh, on, on near-death experiences who w immediately followed right after raymond moody's book but just wonderful stuff. But yeah. he's, a, he's another lawyer. Yeah. And he has the same attitude you and I have. Just want the facts. 
But if it's a fact, don't tell me it's not a fact. Yeah, yeah. You know, for, for you to say that your belief system tops my fact, is, which is what the scientists are at this point having to say, is is hogwash. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't well, make any sense. Well, well, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. And 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 for the record, I had PM Atwater on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she and she is uh, and and I think listening to both this show and PM Atwater's show will give folks a very good perspective on on this topic. But I want to underscore something you said that I come back to a lot when people ask me about about uh, being a lawyer, and that is it it's. What what proves that something is true or more probable, and that is the evidence and the logical co- coherence of the argument. And I don't care whether it's evidence for the multiverse, string theory, dark matter, dark energy, or black holes versus the afterlife, the paranormal, out-of-body experiences, or, or UFOs. I want to see the evidence, and I want to see the logical coherence. And that's that should be the way we approach any of these topics, because otherwise you're bringing all this baggage, right? All this, all, the, all these preconceived notions to the study of these fields. I mean, there's a book on my shelf um, called *The Believing Brain*, which you may have seen by Michael Shermer, the editor uh-huh. of uh, of Skeptic Magazine, which I. I mention that book a lot because that because he's the famous skeptic who's skeptical of anything that he doesn't believe in, and and that really <laughs> that's and, right. that, and that really is he's skeptical of anything that's not scientific. He thinks that people who believe in God, ghosts, angels, the paranormal, psychic phenomena, and of course the afterlife are basically crazy or uncivilized. And, and except that, he just had the experience. Did you see that no, in Scientific American? No, I didn't see that. Oh, he, did. he had an experience um, that was, it's too long to recount, but essentially he said, you know, uh, this doesn't really change how I feel, but uh, I have to say that it does shake me up a bit. And I thought, well, bless you, you're a classier man than I ever dreamed you well, were. I'll, I'll, I'll so, look at that because I I usually read his, his column, but um, it's always, I always thought that that's going to be the way society changes or call our mindset changes when the leaders have these experiences when when yep. when you have Stephen Hawking um, maybe have an out-of-body experience because it's bound to happen with him I mean it's bound I mean something and, and Richard Dawkins I don't know if he's if he's recoverable but 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 when when the leading hard hardcore materialists have these experiences or or take the their defense mechanisms down, and as you say, follow Oakham's razor a little bit. I mean, uh, I, I've been um, researching neuroscience here and getting into this whole question about where does consciousness come from. I mean, when you look at their their theories of consciousness, it's the most convoluted. It doesn't make any it's, it's, sense. It's, 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 it's amazing. You sort of wave your hand, and out pops consciousness. Well, that's, you know, I, I'm not quite convinced. I, I can give you for what for me is overwhelming evidence that that co- the brain does not generate consciousness. The um, uh, what, what is it called? Celagons, little worm that you almost can't see, and it's transparent. It has twenty one thousand genes in its genome. So in two thousand three, they announced they thought we had a hundred thousand genes. In two thousand three, they announced we only have 24,500 genes. That's not much more than this little tiny worm. How is that even possible? Well, do you know, Philip, this summer, they came out with a revision of the human genome. 
we have 19,000 genes, 2,000 less than yeah. coelacanths. Yeah. So how yeah. is it, and, and nearly yeah. all of them predate primates. Yeah. So tell us how, dear scientists, how is it possible for uh, your theory of, of, of uh, genetics to be valid and at the same time the human brain to generate consciousness. How do we figure that? How is that? How can we reconcile those two? As yeah. you point out, we have to make these things consistent. Where's the consistency there? Yeah, I know. It is, that is that's a great that's a great statistic. I, I did um, I put in my own book I have a section on I have a section on that and I and I think that the the living thing with the most genes is some kind of fern. Yes, it's got like 140,000 140, genes, and it's like some bizarre fern in Brazil or something. And so right. obviously there is not. I mean, here here's really here's really what this means to me. And and this I don't know how long this is going to take to filter through the the um, mindset of the of the of the scientific mainstream. But if if you have a large machine like a jet, like a um, like the Dreamliner, or a rocket ship, it's going to be more complicated. You got more parts, more sophistication, and so one would think that the number of genes would correspond to a more complex organism, and that's where that's where this mechanical machine model just falls apart. So, Roberta, I'm with you on. I think this is it's it's a really good example of the mechanical model breaking down right and, and i That's think right. it's it's really it's 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 really good stuff now believe it or not we have raced to the end and we've gone in this we've gone in this loop that i that i led you on you were very patient with me as i tried to cover <laughs> all these all these topics um the the one thing that uh is it always is, is in my mind um, on this afterlife front is is there anything that this that we could that this tells us about our current lives is how, how does how does this change your life how, how does your how does how does this research um, affected you in, in oh 100 percent it, it's there is nothing in your life that is the same when you've done this work yeah. you you learn that your mind is eternal Therefore, you're living in it forever. You stop putting anything into it. It's just like you wouldn't dump garbage in the middle of your living room floor. You stop putting anything into your mind, any entertainments, any thoughts that are negative or nasty or violent or brutish. You, you start understanding that the whole purpose that we're here, this is just a day in the gym. That's all this is. We, we're learning to strengthen our love and forgiveness muscles. So you take each thing that happens in your life as just one of those machines in the gym, whether it's somebody who's nasty to you, whether it's uh, a, you know, a setback in your career, whatever it is, and you go into it joyfully and surmount it. It makes you live your life in a much more positive and enthusiastic way. And it does away with fear. You don't fear anything once you understand this because death is the based fear. And I think every fear we have, including on the mortgage payment and everything else, is, a de is derived from the fear of death because when you don't fear it, believe me, you don't fear anything. Yeah. Everybody I know who has done this research and come to these conclusions, and everybody who does the research honestly does come to the same conclusions, they're all lovely, selfless, gentle people. Well, you met PMH. Right. I mean, they're people... 
They're people who don't think in terms of just this little narrow blip of time that's a, a human lifetime. They're thinking eternally, and they're spreading joy and love. Yeah. Believe me, you wouldn't have wanted to know me before I figured all this out. I was not nice before. <laughs> now I'm really nice. <laughs> well, that's I mean, encouraging it it, that, it had, that it had the big, you know, this this big impact. I mean, this this it's not it, this is not an academic pursuit. That's, no, that's, it isn't. Not that's anymore. one way to put it. And you know, I go back to this same point a lot, which is that if you want to look at probabilities. And and you know probabilities rule our lives whether we think it think they do or not whether it's what route to take to work to get there earlier or where to put your investments or what horse to bet on or what degree to gives you the best shot at getting a job so much is is based upon probabilities and and Roberta to me what is what's coming out of of all these discussions I've had in this show and the research I've done is that I think we're starting to realize in a small way that this consciousness-based worldview is more probable than the materialistic one. And if mm -hmm. that's the case, then we should be putting our faith, our chips in this mindset as opposed to the mechanical mindset. Because as you say, it is so much more uplifting, so much more promising, so much more um, forward-looking. Uh, I'm not going to concede this question about death and dying right now. That's that. We'll have to say that for our next show because there's a lot to talk about there. But my point here. Oh yes. My point here is that this consciousness-based, spiritual-based, whatever you want to call it. It to me, there is no doubt that it is more probable, and therefore, if we're scientific about it, we should be putting our trust, our faith, our confidence, our th our thinking, our lives, in this mindset as opposed to the materialistic one. Um, that's so, beautifully said. That's perfectly said. Thank you. That's exactly how I would feel. So, yep. so I so I think that that is um, that's really what. I think the future holds, and once again, we've come to the end, Roberta. I'd like to thank you. It was we you're 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 a lot of fun to have on on the show, um, and with may, without, may I give my website? Yeah, yeah. I I'd like to ask you. I'd like to ask you to give your website and and uh, how people could get a hold of you. Um, just robertagrimes.com, and at the bottom of the first page, there's a little envelope. I answer emails, um, and I'd love to hear from people if you have questions. Or uh, I also blog there. Please read my blog. I love writing it, and I <laughs> love hearing from people who have read it. Yeah. Um, I also do podcasts called Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on iTunes. We have more than 150,000 subscribers, believe it or not. A lot of people want to know this stuff. There's a hunger to know now. Isn't that exciting? Wow. that That is... That's fantastic. Well, once again, Roberta, thank you very much. It's been uh, a, a lot of fun, and I want to <laughs> recommend I, I want to recommend your your two books, "The Fun of Dying" and "The Fun of Staying in Touch." I see that you have another one coming out that you have planned, "The Fun of Growing Forever." Oh um, yes, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's listed. Two, two, that's listed two in more the years. I have to finish figuring it out myself. That, that's listed in the future, <laughs> but it's, it's probably already been written. 
So you just need to. <laughs> no, somehow... not quite. But as we okay. know, there's no time. Right. So it's there's all no time. So anyway. however, however that works. But once again, <laughs> right. thanks. Thank you very much. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond thank Science you. and Religion. We're switching gears next week. We'll have John Bancroft on. We'll be talking about tolerance of uncertainties. Stay in touch. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.